Welcome to the Active Training Team podcast, where we like to share ideas to start a conversation about safety leadership. My name is Adam Christopher, and I'm a director at Active Training Team. At ATT, we use live drama, film and skills practice workshops to explore and debate behaviour in the world of safety, health and well-being. I hope you took away a lot from our last two-parter where we heard from youngsters from different socio-economic backgrounds who told us how they're finding things as they enter the construction and renewable energy industries. Okay, so what are we looking at this time around? I think the title of this episode probably gives the game away. On any major construction or infrastructure project, we're pretty much faced with what at times feels like a continuous sea of people wearing high vis. And I have to say, most of the stories ATT tell, either in our pop-up workshops or our centre-based narratives, involves a significant amount of high-vis clothing. It's one of the most obvious symbols of safety in modern construction, and I don't mind admitting that I'm a bit of a high-vis geek. It fascinates me to hear the different attitudes towards high-vis and to learn about recent innovations in its design to suit modern-day construction practices and to make it more attractive and inclusive so it'll be embraced and comfortably worn by more people. Chances are that, whether you work in this industry or not, you will have seen at least one person in high-vis today. I asked this construction worker what high-vis means to him. The um, railways wear orange. Yeah. Thames Waterway is orange and all, but I mean, we have to have it, otherwise we get knocked down so people can see us. Some of the guys don't wear eyeglasses. Why? I don't know. Some sites we go to, they're on there and they've got shorts and t-shirts on. And no, it just depends who's managing the site and what the site's all about. I'm sure it's not hard to imagine a reluctant high-vis wearer. We've all seen plenty of private construction jobs where any form of high-vis is notably absent or haphazardly shoved into back pockets. By the way, the sun is well and truly out today. It's baking hot, and on my way to the studio to record this podcast, I saw a team of scaffolders working on a domestic build. The only bit of high-vis I could see was a vest wrapped around one of the fellow's heads, kind of like a makeshift turban. I can only assume to stop him getting sunburned. Very innovative. But yeah, you guessed it, he wasn't wearing a shirt of any description, and I can only wonder if he was wearing his Factor 50. At its heart, a significant purpose of high-vis is to avoid life-limiting and fatal incidents. I spoke with Konstantin Martinov, a slinger signaller on the Thames Tideway tunnelling project in London. I was invited 43 metres underground to the Falconbrook pumping station to hear what he had to say. He explained why high-vis is important to him. The responsibilities everyone has is, is very crucial to, to be easily distinguished from everyone else and that can help you identify who is a fresh person on the site and it can help you identify uh, who is a supervisor, who is a manager, who is a visitor in that perspective. OK, not something I would have thought of but important nonetheless. Having full-on high-vis, especially in tunneling, where it's reduced visibility, it's always a dim light over the course of a long shift. Your eyes get tiring and you feel like in a 
sleepy states at some point, it's important for people to see you, you know, make yourself visible at all times. If I'm not mistaken, one of the main reasons for having high-vis on trousers as well is that when you get, it happened, a collapse happened or something, you can see a leg under something, you can see the arm under something. It's a little bit can make a difference for people to see you. And that's why in private jobs, you don't get the same thing because maybe it's a maximum five, 10 people working on a, a small house and you're always aware of who's there, who's not there. It's easy to control. Whereas in this type of infrastructures, you have different faces and different people walking in and out the, the, the front doors. Someone who works on the enforcement side of Hivers is Neil Hancocks. He's a health, safety and wellbeing director at Align, a joint venture on the HS2 project. Neil is the current chair of Tunnel Skills and spends a great deal of his time promoting the use of suitable PPE. His knowledge of Hivers is both practical and personal and incredibly detailed and interesting. He understands the nuances of choosing the right Hivers for different workers. Bit of a link, the transition from construction wearing yellow to construction wearing orange. The predominant local flower because of farming was the rapeseed plant, which is bright yellow. And of course, around sewage treatment works, there's always a lot of flying insects. And they were drawn, obviously, for, for food and nectar to the local plant being a yellow rapeseed plant, uh, which is a very similar colour to yellow hive-is. So uh, we fast realised that we were actually uh, being mistaken for food. And we switched to orange and the, uh, the problem seemed to diminish somewhat. Such a simple solution. Neil demonstrates why it's so important to facilitate conversations about issues at work. People's lives can be much more comfortable if they're willing to speak up, but they have to be heard, and heard by the people that make the decisions that make a difference. This isn't the first time I've been told this anecdote regarding switching from yellow to orange high-vis. ATT have recently been working with another water company outside of London. There's been a regime change there, and someone from the newly appointed senior leadership team told me that they're changing their high-vis clothing from yellow to orange for exactly the same reason. Their guys were getting covered in flies when working close to sewerage too. What was disappointing to hear was the people having to deal with this had been requesting this change for 10 years. But for 10 years, nothing had been done about it. 10 years! It took a regime change for these people to feel heard and for positive change to be done. Why? Neil and I spoke from one of Align's sites in Rickmansworth in the UK, a busy concrete batching plant the size of 110 football pitches. I asked why he thinks some workers are reluctant to wear high-vis. When I see people who are clearly construction workers on the tube or in the local community, or you know, they tend to be wearing high fashion clothing. I think it is around almost, uh, if you're not made to wear high-vis, you, you're going to wear the T-shirt that you, you've had it for three months with Versace or whatever on it, and now it's a it's a status symbol on the site. I'm not sure there's resistance, because I think those same people, if they come here, they would receive that PPE and they're probably quite happily wearing it. I think it's probably one of a, uh, 
if they don't have to wear it, there's no sanction or discipline from where they are working, then they'll go back to the Speedos and the um, Factor 40 suntan lotion. My first job in 1984, we had some bricklayers there, and one of them just wore his Speedos and a high-vis tabard. You know, <laughs> you know nobody said anything because he'd got his tabard on, you know. Mm, that makes me think of Speedo Mike, the Evertonian who raises thousands for charity walking around the country and going to matches wearing just his Speedos, whatever the weather. But hey, that's another story. Neil hears all sorts of weird and wonderful complaints about wearing high-vis. Of course, people think it's the PPE that makes you hot. Of course, it's the temperature that makes you hot. In their own time, you know, they wear football shirts. And now the the modern wicking fabric is a sports-based fabric. It's made in the same factories around the world as the Manchester United shirt. You know, it's a high-quality garment. Tunnelling guys would always argue on every project that they'd like 100% cotton, but the 100% cotton garment can't hold the conspicuous colour. So you can't make an orange or a yellow high visibility conspicuous colour because the cotton cannot take enough dye in to to maintain the colour that you need. So we've transitioned to these more modern fabrics for practical reasons as well as health and safety. Yeah, it's an ongoing battle. We heard earlier about changing the high-vis colour from yellow to orange making a significant difference to people working in the water industry. Colour change can make an important and positive difference to safety in other environments too. It can be a hazard as a plant operator, yeah. But there's more in the cab, you know. So you're thinking you wear a cab, you've got glass screens, and very often when you're in full sun, you will see the reflection of yourself back on the screen. Well, we know as drivers how how annoying it may be if, if you, you notice you've left a parking ticket or something on your dashboard and it reflects in your field of view. So, yeah, I acknowledge that that is a, an ongoing hazard, but it's more often it's the, it's the scotch light reflective strip that is uh, the predominant distraction on the screen from the reflection. During my research for this episode, I was told of another situation where changing the colour of someone's high-vis clothing made a difference, but not before something quite traumatic happened to this individual. Part of ATT's work is to encourage people to speak up. Our workshops are designed to not just give people the confidence to raise concerns, but also to be more receptive listeners. What are we doing to enable those around us to voice any issues they may have, particularly if it affects their health, safety and well-being? On one of the major infrastructure projects we're involved with, we heard from a plant operator who'd been beaten up on site by a tipper truck driver following a near miss. The plant operator told us he hadn't seen the truck because he'd been temporarily blinded by his orange hives reflecting on his cab window. He believed changing from orange to light blue high-vis lessens the risk of distracting reflections. The sad thing here is that he'd been saying this to his bosses for a long time and they'd ignored his request, dismissing him as lazy. It took a serious near-miss and being severely beaten up for them to listen to him. He now wears blue high-vis and believes he's a safer entity. When people are listened to, it can massively improve one person's working conditions and transform an industry. Lena Begum used to work on the Tideway project and coincidentally used to be a colleague of Neil Hancock's. 
She started working as a health and safety apprentice on Crossrail, the recently opened Cross London Rail project. It was there that she first encountered problems around access to suitable PPE. So when I first started in the construction industry, the only ones that was available was the Mayo PPE. So immediately when I saw it, I knew that it wasn't something that I felt comfortable wearing. It was extremely short, shorter than what I would wear, and it didn't cover my curves. Modesty is very important to me as a Muslim woman. I choose to observe it, and I felt extremely uncomfortable just thinking about wearing it. I was like, oh, absolutely not, I cannot wear that. Um, so I actually avoided going on site. Health and safety is something that you can't do from the desktop. You're going to have to go on site. Like leading up to those days, like I honestly couldn't sleep very well because obviously I'm making such a major decision. Like, and I just feel like it wasn't me. It wasn't real. So I decided to wear like a bomber jacket. It was an oversized one. I didn't make on site. In fact, I fainted in the site cabins because I literally packed myself with clothing and I felt so embarrassed. I can remember sitting across from my from the health and safety manager. So this is my line manager at the time, and I'm having to explain myself. And I remember thinking, you know what, this is just not the right time. It's not the right people. They don't have PPE for females. Like, you're out of your mind if you think that people will be providing PPE for female Muslims. Lena moved projects to work with a team on Tideway. There was another Muslim woman who was having the same issue, but she wasn't having any of it. She went on to site with her um, long dress, her hijab, and I think she had, like, a high-vis jacket on and a hard hat. But she went on to site. And it came back to the health and safety team. Of course, I'm sitting on the health and safety team and they're having these discussions. And my line managers at the time, so it was Neil Hancock and Ralph Ashwood, they're like scratching their heads like, what do we do? And they're like, oh, Lena, we're just discussing it over the table. We're having this issue on site with, you know, PPE and this female Muslim went on to site with, with her garments on. What do you think we can do? Can we do a risk assessment? And they're all like scratching their heads. I'm just like, well, how about a PPE for female Muslims? Now, bearing in mind, Tideway was one of those jobs that were transformational. They wanted to do things differently. This is why I felt very comfortable talking to this team about something that's completely new, that's different. And I just sort of said to her, well, you, if, if you come up with a design on the back of a post-it note, you know, what this garment, you know, how you envisaged it. And of course, off she went. And the following morning, there it was, was Lena's first sort of tunic type design. But you just thought, well, actually, it's, it's nothing more really than a longer polo shirt that, that covers the, the lower part of the body. I remember that I didn't have lunch that day. I literally like, did a sketch on a post-it note. I was very excited. I, um, I just wanted to get going. And then me and Neil were having a discussion about the length of the PPE and whether that would get caught on any machinery. And then we thought about it and we're just like, well, it's the same risk as, you know, the guys on site. They usually wear oversized jackets anyways. So the PPE, I did have to compromise a bit of the length, but I have to bear in mind all the other women wearing the PPE. I don't want anyone getting caught in the future. I used basically word art to, you know, the shapes just to create my design. I presented it to them and they said, it's a no-brainer, we're funding it. We were able to send off this little sketch to one of the large distributors of PPE and they formalised the design. You know, it was a 20-minute conversation followed by Lena taking the initiative overnight to actually sketch it and that was straight away, that was to me, that was Lena's design. So we got a proper garment designer from within the PPE distributor. And I think within four or five weeks, we got the first properly designed concept. Getting progression in construction as a woman is very difficult. And when you have like a year and a half of a setback, that's a lot. And I remember saying this to Neil and he immediately went and tried to like uh, resolve the issues as quick as possible. 
we wanted to speed things up a bit. So actually one day Lena went along to one of the local markets. She bought a tunic that was a you know along the lines of her vision and we sent that off to a manufacturer based in the uk down in devon so within a week they had returned a high-vis garment that, that fitted lena perfectly of course so it all took off from there really you know within three months her tunic design was being shown in the in big ppe exhibitions in the middle east where it got a lot of interest you know it is literally like a dress you just have an extension to your T-shirt. There are long sleeves to it and it's a lot more loose fitting. Um, it's probably one of the easiest forms of innovation, literally putting like two pieces of material together. And then we started thinking about, is there anyone else on site that we might be missing that might not have PPE? Well, how can we miss it? Maternity wear. Maternity wear has been around for like uh, in the fashion industry anyways. So it wasn't something that we had to mock up out of scratch. The modesty PPE... Plus maternity PPE got funded. I think it got approximately like 8K worth um, and they were happy for the green lights. She showed her father the tuning. Her father's response was something on, along the lines of, well, that just demonstrates that actually they respect you as a person in the workplace. You know, so it was that was win-win. It wasn't just about the garment. It was about acceptance within her community that a construction site was a suitable place for a female to work. Lena has made a huge impact from that concept. But the support I gave, of course, was prepared to actually listen to her problem and do something about it, you know, because you could see it, it was very important to her as an individual. Lena's story is a brilliant example of fostering positive conversations about health and safety. And it shows how willing some people are to make the workplace open to everyone. Her design has been quickly adopted and it's changed the mindset of the industry. Leah's work where we're mentioning how for tenders, especially for the big jobs like HS2, they want to know more about inclusive PPE. So they've got the female PPE, they've got the modest range, they've got maternity wear. They would win the, the PPE contracts because of the inclusive range in comparison to their competitors, um, which is brilliant because now we've got contractors that are thinking about inclusive PPE, which, which is great. Lena now tours schools, talking to young women about the positive career choices they can make. She said when she tells these young Muslim women about the modesty high-vis clothing, she sees a palpable sense of relief on their faces. The invention, albeit a simple one, created by a young Muslim woman, has opened up the industry to a group of people who'd at best not been thought of and at worst were discriminated against. Why hasn't this happened earlier? Is it because there isn't greater diversity of thought amongst the people in the top jobs? Lena seems to agree that the benefits of this are too significant to ignore. So the NHS is a really good example of having a diverse workforce. They've got a diverse range of PPE available. My sister, for example, she'd work as a healthcare assistant. Already she had the modesty tunic available to her. The fact that construction is thinking about diverse range of PPE, hopefully in the future we will have um, people from different backgrounds entering the industry. And we really need it because it's, just, it's civil engineering. We're trying to create solutions for the built environment and we really can't do it off the same workforce all these solutions stuff it won't be within one workforce the more diversity there is the more diverse thought patterns we'll get lena's experience has a look into the future 
my ambition in the future is to go to Bangladesh and do a flood relief tunnel or something that would alleviate the flooding problem. One of my ambitions is to have a woman-only workforce. And I think that will only be possible with the PPE that I have because with Bangladesh, it's a Muslim-majority country. You don't have as high of a population of women working, especially in the construction industry, you can forget it, that it's probably unheard of. In order for it to be inviting, you would need that PPE in place. I think it's really important in any field to be able to challenge the status quo, the norm. Listening to these stories, and in particular Lena and Neil's, we can see that there can be really simple solutions to health, safety and well-being issues. Lena felt able to speak up because Neil wanted to listen. And because of that, massive change happened. We need to be critical friends with the decision makers in our workplace. We can say this is good or not good, so please listen because we can make it better. At ATT's workshops, this is a key message we want to leave people with. Allowing people to share their experiences and listening responsibly, I think for the most part, will always improve our working environments. Thanks to Lena Begum, Neil Hancock, Constantine Martinov and everyone who shared their stories with me. Thank you for your time. This is Series 2, Episode 3 of the Active Training Team podcast. You can find all our previous episodes on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. Just search for the ATT Safety Leadership Podcast. And if you've got any feedback or ideas for future episodes, please get in touch. You can find us on Twitter, LinkedIn and at activetrainingteam.co.uk. I'm Adam Christopher. This episode was produced by Alexandra Quint for Loftus Media. Thanks to everyone at ATT and thanks for listening. Goodbye.